listening to The Currency Welcome. I'm your host, I'm Mike Gaston, and this is episode number 88 of America's Favorite Podcast. Yeah, that's right, Joe Rogan, The Currency, number one, baby. (laughs) You should have never went to Spotify, Joe, because I've unseated you. Yeah, my hundreds of listeners... God bless you all. How you guys doing? It's been a it's been a moment. I, I took about three weeks off from the show. And the reason I did that is because I got the COVIDs. I got COVID-19 kids. And it hit me hard. It hit me hard. I was on my back for, for over two weeks. I I had I had the virus for maybe, I don't know, 12, 13 days, like the all the effects of it. Maybe two weeks straight. And then I spent a few days over the a weekend on my back and then I got back to work. So last week I worked all week. I was I was back at it. But boy, I'm not firing on all cylinders. Let me tell you. This thing left me wiped out. Wiped out. So I want to talk about that today a little bit because, you know, throughout the year, throughout this whole COVID experience, I've been pretty vocal on what I think about it and my positions on it and how society's reacting to it. And uh, of course, I've been pretty critical of all that stuff. And then I got my butt kicked. So you you would think you'd be reasonable uh, to think that, well, maybe Uncle Mike's changed his tune a little bit. And it has impacted my view. It's caused me to think differently. And I want to share that with you today. And no, this is not going to be a mea culpa. Uh, you, you, you know, I'm not going to turn around and say I was wrong. But it certainly has changed my view So I'm glad to have you along today. We're going to talk about that. I want to share with you, uh, and I'm not going to be like some old guy. I'll tell you a little bit about my experience with the virus, but I'm not going to sit and take you through a blow-by-blow account of my sickness and all the different pills I took and at what time. (laughs) But I do want to share this with you because, you know, there's not a lot of information out there. And I want to just give you a little bit of a firsthand account. What was it like? What was my experience? And then second, I want to share this kind of thinking that it's that it spurred for me. You know, I spent a lot of time on my back, just, uh, you know, golly, I could hardly read. I couldn't watch videos. My eyes hurt so much at certain times. Um, and so you have time for reflection. <laughs> and I felt so sick at times. I thought, am I ever, like, I forgot what it felt like to be healthy. You know, it, it, it can really... Get in your head. I mean, after two weeks, you're just sitting there thinking, is this thing ever going to let go? So I want to talk a little bit about what I thought about and some of the insights that I feel COVID gave me. And I think these insights will be useful. I think that you will, uh, at the least, I think they will be thought provoking. And, uh, you know, my audience, you guys are pretty sharp. You guys, I love you guys. I say this every time and, and I mean it. I mean, I goof sometimes, you know, I tell you how much I love you, but I really do love this audience. I want you guys to thrive. I want you to succeed in this world. I want you to overcome. I don't want you to succumb to the pressures and the forces that would bind us, that would keep us from living life on our own terms, to, from having liberty and being free to pursue the life uh, that we think is, is right for us and, and is healthy and good. So I want to share a little bit of what happened. So let's talk about that. So a few weeks back, it was a Friday, I had a buddy stop by, uh, I, you know, We've been really busy lately, and you know I'll, I'll, I'll announce this here. It's a little premature; really shouldn't do it. But I'm going to tell you, we've been really busy because we are getting ready to list Gaston Manor. We're going to put Gaston Manor on the market. We're going to try to sell our property in our home, and we're sitting on this five-acre, almost like a <laughs> you call it a gentleman's farm. It used to be a bigger farm, probably 55 acres. You know, the previous owner sold off that property, and it's been developed. So we're surrounded by suburban, uh, nice suburban homes. 
Uh, but but we're sitting on this five acre property, you know, an 1820s uh, little farmhouse, uh, humble. This is not like a giant, uh, you know, mansion of a house, et cetera. But we're sitting on this property, lovely little house. I mean, it's a couple uh, 2,200 square feet, very nice. It's rough. I mean, it's, we've been working on it. We've been in this house for almost seven years now. We've been chipping away room by room, trying to remodel and restore and so on. But there's still quite a bit of work that needs to be done on this. Anyway, we've been working towards listing the property. The market is so hot right now that we just said, we got to we gotta put this thing on the market and see what happens. We would have had it listed already. But you know, we got to this point where we're working and working and both feeling really tired and achy. And I, I just thought, well, I'm on my feet all the time. That's why my back and my legs are starting to hurt so much, et cetera. Well, come Friday afternoon, I thought, ah, oh, boy, I, I don't feel good. Well, come Friday night, I'm like, something's wrong. Went to bed, tossed and turned, a little feverish. Saturday, woke up and I was a wreck. My kidneys hurt, achy joints, muscles were killing me, you know, headache. I was just like, okay, I'm sick. So spent Saturday and I thought, I wonder if I've got COVID. Went to bed Saturday night, again, brutal. Couldn't sleep, tossed and turned, sweats and chills. Couldn't get comfortable because of the aches and pains and so on. So Sunday I went and I got tested and I did a rapid test and yeah, you got the COVIDs. And I remember saying to my wife, I'm like, honey, as I was driving over, I called her and I just said, if I go and I get tested and I don't have COVID, I'm going to be furious. Like I wanted it. I was like, I want to get this thing. I want to get it over. If I'm going to feel like garbage, it better well be COVID so that I can just have it and be done with it. So that was that. So I got the test back positive. Okay, well, by Sunday already, because I hit a, sh you know, I grabbed a shower before I went out to get tested. I came back and I'm like, you know, I don't feel great, but I'm already starting to feel better. So I thought this is going to be one of those four or five day things. I'm already starting to come out of it. Monday I got up. I, I didn't feel great, but I had a new client. I did a kickoff meeting with them. And uh, via Zoom, I was supposed to do it face-to-face. -face. We did it via Zoom. That's one of the reasons I got tested. I, I was supposed to do this kickoff meeting. Plus, the following week, I was supposed to travel out of state. And I thought, well, I better check. Got off that Zoom meeting. It's like, okay, I feel wiped out. But you know what? I'm on the mend already. I remember being on the phone with my client that I was going to travel to the following week. And I said, look, uh, I think by Wednesday, I'm going to be back in the saddle. Like, I, you know, I've got it. I don't feel great, but I'm already feeling better. And any of you that have been sick before, you kind of get to know how your body responds to stuff like the flu or colds or fevers and so on. And I was just like, yeah, I'm going to be fine. Well, come Tuesday or Wednesday, I don't remember what day, but I got destroyed. I mean, I, it, it, it hit me over the head and laid me out. And, you know, I won't go in. There's not like, okay, all these fascinating symptoms. But the fact of the matter was, like, I could hardly use my eyes. I, I was so, because they hurt so much. You know, it was like a wicked sinus headache at the same time, my kidneys, my joints, the sweats. Like I just, if there was something that could be wrong, it was wrong. I mean, I just, everything. Now I was breathing fine at that point. I didn't have any issue with breathing. And at that point, I hadn't lost my sense of smell or taste. Fast forward a few days towards the next weekend and all of a sudden I can't taste my coffee in the morning. It was the weirdest thing. It was like, it was just very strange. I lost all my sense of taste and smell. And uh, this thing started changing where I didn't have the headaches like I had before. I was exhausted. I was able to you know, sit and watch a video. But my breathing, you know, my, my chest started getting a little tight, like it was, breathing was a little shallow. And as I got into Saturday, 
excuse me. Uh, And there's some residual. As I got into Saturday, as I got into Sunday, it was getting worse and worse. Well, come Monday, even Sunday night, I went to bed a little nervous and we, we sleep upstairs, you know, so it's like to get to bed, I've got to go up, uh, you know, another story on the stairs. I get to the top and I'm like, I can barely get enough air in my, my lungs are that tight. And it's weird because when you can't get enough air in, you start to like, you know, like your, your body's trying to get it in, but it starts to overreact. And it was just a very strange and, and you know, kind of scary experience. So I went to bed. I just tried to stay calm, you know, just said a prayer, went to bed. And then Monday I woke up and it was worse. And I'm like, okay. Now the thing is my wife looked at me Monday and she said, you looked great. She didn't tell me. She's like, she looked at me and she thought he's got to go to the hospital. And I, and you know, I hate, and who loves it. Right. But I hate going to the hospital. I hate having to go to the doctor. I'd rather just tough it out. I mean, I'm kind of a knucklehead that way. So in my mind, there's no way I'm going to either die or I'm going to get through this, but I am not going to the hospital. Now, she could have forced me to go. I mean, it's not like I would have you know, gotten physical. Not like I could have, even if I wanted to. But I did not want to go to the hospital. And there was a point in the late morning, she came up to check on me in bed. She sat down and, uh, and took my hand and said, how are you? And when she took my hand, I just broke down in tears. I was... And it dawned on me then, it's like, I was honest, it, it, I realized like how scared I really was. And, and I just said to her, you know, this thing won't let go. And my, I'm scared because I'm having trouble breathing. Everything else is, I don't care. Like everything else is not a big deal, but I'm having trouble breathing. Now we have a very good friend. Uh, he's a medical doctor and he's in South Africa. Uh, Dr. Frank, if you're listening, I love you, man. Uh, and, and Frank and I knew each other, even, uh, you know, we were younger. We used to work together at the pharmacology department of a university in South Africa. Um, his father and Frank and his siblings and mother were family friends of my wife's family and just a wonderful guy. So Lydia got on the phone with him because he'd been treating patients with COVID and he had a, a, a regimen. He had a, this kind of a medical regimen, if you will, but it was alternative, meaning, you know, it wasn't like s- smelling lavender, but, you know, the, some of the things that you hear about like ivermectin um, and Panacure, these are, these are actually anti-worm medicine for horses, I guess. I don't know. Uh, I am a horse's ass, so maybe that's why, <laughs> that's why they prescribe that. But essentially, um, you know, hyperdose vitamin C, hyperdose vitamin D, this Panacure, this Ivermectin. We've been doing some of those things, but not all of them. And then Frank had me uh, taking, um, like, real, like making a mentholated water. You take like Vicks into some steaming water, you know, and you're just breathing that in as much as you can. So I started, Lydia went to the store. I started doing that immediately. Just, it was hard. Like, but the funny thing is, you know how strong smelling mentholated like Vicks or that type of stuff is, I couldn't smell it. Like I'm breathing in and I can't, I can't smell it whatsoever, which is like, wow, because that stuff's powerful. But I was just forcing myself like every hour to get over that steaming water, breathe it in and it hurt. It was really hard to do. Like I didn't want to do it, but I just kept forcing and, and immediately I could tell it had arrested that, that degradation of my lungs. And then slowly they were opening back up and I knew like next day, Tuesday, I'm like, I'm going to be okay. Like I could still, it was still hard. Like my oxygen levels were low, et cetera, but I kept pushing through. So Monday afternoon, all day Tuesday. And and by Wednesday, I'm like, I'm good. Like I, I did it all day Wednesday. 
just to keep the process going, but we beat it. I could tell we beat it. And, um, so then, then by Thursday, Friday that week, I knew that I had beaten COVID in general. I just could tell my body was like, okay, you know, I'm not sweating. I don't have fever dreams. I'm still achy and tired, but it, like the headaches, everything's gone. It's lifted. That was two weeks and it just left me empty. And so here I am, that's three weeks later. It's Sunday, three weeks later, and I'm still whipped. Like I just took the dog for a walk around the neighborhood but, you know, come eight o'clock, I'm done. Like I'm exhausted. I want to get into bed physically. I just don't have the juice, you know, and my, and my lungs are, are fine, but they're still a little, little raspy, little raggedy. Like I'm not, I'm probably running about 75, 80% right now. Uh, so I'm there, I'm almost there. And I, and people I've talked to, uh, my friend, Greg, he went through this. He didn't have it as it doesn't sound like he went through the 14 days, but he said, yeah, it took me two months to kind of get physically back to where I was. And he's pretty healthy. He's trim. He works out a uh, similar age, you know, he's in his fifties, but, um, so yeah, so it's quite an experience. So that's, that's that, that's just a few minutes to kind of give you, you know, what did I go through? And I share that more so for your sake saying, well, what was it like? Um, couple scary days, really one scary day when uh, maybe two <laughs> with the breathing. But other than that, uh, you know, your classic, like just miserable flu, just with some strange side effects and just move around. It's in your head, it's in your chest, it's in your kidneys and knees, you know, it's in your stomach. Uh, it just moved around a lot. And the other thing weird, you know, you're losing uh, sense of taste and smell. Now, taste and smell I'm getting those back. Like I can taste my coffee, but it's not as nuanced. Like I'm not going to go open an expensive bottle of wine right now because I'll taste the wine, but I'll have no idea of any of the nuance, any of the notes. I won't tell you like, oh, wow, I'm getting a hint of tobacco with vanilla. And no, it'll be like, that's eh, wine. That's red wine. That's what that is. <laughs> uh, and I haven't really had any. I had one drink last night. It's been three weeks because I just didn't want to tax my kidneys. It's like, yeah, you got to let them rest. So... That's that. So here we are. So how has that changed my thinking? I mean, I was pretty, boy, I was pretty critical of this whole COVID thing. I've never, now I've always said COVID's real. I've never said, oh, COVID's not real. But I have argued that, hey, I think the statistics have been juiced. I think we're overstating deaths. Uh, meaning, if you look at the numbers, the number of people dying from heart disease and cancer has dropped precipitously precipitously. Uh, the same for people that have died of the flu. There is no flu, strangely, this year. Uh, the influenza is gone. It's all corona, supposedly. So for me, I've argued that like a lot of the deaths that we're you know, cataloging as COVID deaths historically would have been cataloged as something else. You have heart disease and you have COVID. They're listing you as, as a COVID. Uh, you're, you succumb to COVID versus you were already going to die. It was going to be a COVID. It was going to be a cold. It was going to be something that was going to push you over the edge, but you had a lot of comorbidities. So I think on one hand, I'm just saying, look, I don't think that we've been consistent with the way that we've been recording our numbers uh, against other types of diseases and situations. So I think that the numbers are inflated. Uh, I, I think that the people have died have really died. I just think there's a more nuanced way to look at it that gives us a more accurate picture. That said, um, it is it is pretty tough. I know a lot of people have had it that have had it pretty mild. I have good friends like they worked right through it. Yeah, I had kind of a cold, didn't feel too good, but I didn't I didn't take any time off, etc. You know, I know some other people that that have had it 
uh, hard, you know, worse, not as I, like, honestly, and I don't mean to say like, oh, I've got the worst ever, but I don't know anyone that's had the same experience as me. I, I, they've been down for like two weeks. Um, I know that happens. I know there are people that go down and never come back up. And, and there are people that get this and just die. You don't have to have comorbidities, but that's pretty rare. I mean, I think the actual death rate is like point, and forgive me if I get my numbers wrong, it's either 0.6 or 0.3%. I mean, that's a really, it's not even a full percentage. Uh, and if it's half a percent, you know, it's a lot. So kind of interesting. Uh, all that said, you know, I've been skeptical. I've said all these shutdowns, the shutdowns, the lockdowns, they're worse than the actual death toll, uh, the cost to economics, <coughs> excuse me, the cost to, to people's livelihoods, to their future, their dreams, uh, depression, suicide, alcoholism, uh, abuse, domestic abuse, and so on. I, I've just made the argument that I think the way we're responding to this thing uh, is worse than the actual thing itself. Okay, so then... I spend two weeks on my back, miserable. I mean, miserable. And I'm still feeling the effects of this thing. Like it's kicked my butt and I'm going to be feeling it for a while. What's changed? What's changed in my perspective? And, and here's what it is. It's made me appreciate the value of adversity. It's made me appreciate the value of adversity. And I've always thought about this from an intellectual perspective, and I've been through a lot of adversity. Now, I, I'm not saying like uh, more than most, I, but I, as an entrepreneur, I've had a couple of really failed businesses. I've, I've had to walk away with my tail between my legs. I remember I started a, a business in South Africa. I had investors. I mean, I was in my early mid-20s. I was a bit of a knucklehead. I was in my mid-20s, I'm sorry. And uh, I had investors. I had this idea, blah, blah, blah. And I failed. I mean, I failed so hard. And, um, and just, you know, rookie stuff. I look back and go, what the heck was I thinking? But that's, that's what happened. So, so that's one failure. You know, I had to shut down my agency, uh, a handful of years ago. Now I'll sit and say, I didn't have to, I could have kept it going, but it was at the point where it wasn't thriving. I'd tried everything uh, that I was willing to try. I wasn't willing to just can every employee and start from scratch. I didn't care about it to do that. I just tried a bunch of stuff. We worked really hard at it. it. We had a good run. I ran that thing for like, I don't know, 18 years, 15, 15 or 18. I forget, but it was just time. It was like, look, this thing is not thriving. It's time to move on. That felt like a failure. I had to go to all my clients. I had to go to my uh, employees. I had to look their spouses in the eye and say, I'm sorry, I've got to shut everything down and uh, then go through that process. It, it, it doesn't feel like a win. You know, if you sell it, like if I was able to sell it to somebody, hey, yeah, I made a million bucks, I sold this thing, and look at me, aren't I a winner? But I've, I've gone through some adversity, I've gone through some failure, I've gone through sickness before. And what this reminded me, and it actually helped, it was like, it became a lens for me to kind of look at our society a little bit, but it reminded me the value of, of adversity, of, of, of coming up against hardship. Now, look, I'm not going to tell you that you need to go out and look for adversity. I'm not going to tell you that you should try to get COVID, that everyone should get it because it's such a great experience. No, no, there's nothing wrong as a human being with trying to avoid pain. Uh, we're designed that way. That's why we have a nervous system. That's why we have a brain that when we experience some sort of pain, emotional, physical, uh, that, that our bodies tell us, our minds tell us, hey, you should avoid that. Don't do that again. That's not good. We don't like it. 
But there's something interesting that's been going on in our society. You know, there's this phrase, you know, everyone's been using this phrase, stay safe, stay safe. It was pretty popular last year. You still hear it in regards to the coronavirus, the pandemic, stay safe, stay safe. Now, there's a certain number of our population, certain segments that, yeah, you got to keep these people safe as best you can. I'm talking like this, the, the really elderly. I'm talking about people with real comorbidities, uh, terrible obesity, heart disease, cancer, you know, uh, kidneys that are shot and they're on um, dialysis and this type of thing. There are people that we have to protect because they're weak. They're not thriving. They're not healthy. And they can't stand up to a host of things. Coronavirus being one of them. The flu is another one. I mean, nursing homes, you know, everyone acts like nursing homes are just learning now how to fight in these infectious diseases. They've been dealing with these kinds of things from the beginning. They've been fighting like, like they have to be well-versed in the flu. Now, the flu has not been as aggressive as COVID. The flu has not been as easy to catch. It doesn't just rip through a place and kill everybody like COVID seems to. You know, you get COVID into uh, a nursing home or a senior community and it can rip through like wildfire, wildfire. But these folks, they're experts. They've been trained in infectious diseases. They've been trained in this kind of thing for a long time. So dealing with the flu for them has been, you know, there's, there's a process. They're smart about it. They're careful about it. And COVID is, is very similar, just another level. But, you know, there is a group of people or groups of people that we have to protect, no doubt. But there's this weird thing going on in our society where we want all of us, we all want to avoid any discomfort, any pain, anything that just makes us feel upset, microaggressions. He looked at me funny. He used a word that I'm sure it just triggers me. And that's his fault. You know, language is violence. Speech is violence. You know, your skin color nowadays, if you're white, that's violence. Like you, like everything is an affront. Everyone is offended. And there's this idea that people need to be protected from things that offend them. They need to be protected from things that upset them. And they need to especially be protected from things that might make them sick or physically uncomfortable. And we as a society, we're embracing this. I, I don't understand it, but we're embracing it. You look at the whole mentality of vaccinations. You know, vaccines used to be about we, we, we have to stop polio. Polio will leave you crippled. It'll destroy your life. You know, there, there are these different things that we've got to stop. And so vaccines were there uh, to try to stop things like the mumps and measles and polio, things that would leave you deaf or sterile or disfigured, a terrible, terrible diseases. But now we're, we're vaccinating for everything. We're vaccinating for chicken pox. I remember as a kid, and I, you know, I don't care if you think I sound like an old guy. I remember as a kid, I was born in 1967, folks. If someone in the social group got chicken pox, your parents are like, I want to get Michael over with Jimmy so that Michael can get the chicken pox too and get it over with. Because once you have chicken pox, you never get it again. You get the antibodies going through your system and then you never get it again. You're, you're safe. So parents would purposely expose their kids to chicken pox just to get it over with. Now we're vaccinating against it. Why? Because two out of... 20,000, two out of 100,000 people can die from chicken pox. I was talking to uh, a neighbor and a friend, this couple, and, and she's a nurse, and her, and her, and her job is um, vac vaccination. She's working for a county or something like that, and she's 
overseeing that. And she was adamant. Oh, you gotta, you gotta vaccinate for chickenpox. I'm like, well, why? Nobody dies. Oh yes. Uh, I know of two cases where people died and, you know, I pressed a little bit and it was like very strange outlier cases. This is, wasn't like little healthy Susie got chickenpox and took a hard one. She succumbed. No, it was like some child with some strange set of diseases and weaknesses got chickenpox. Yeah, that's an organism, a human being, but an organism that's struggling to thrive already. Any sickness is going to push that person over the edge. Now, I don't, I don't want to be, I'm not trying to be a Spartan here, like, and I'm not trying to be a pure, um, you know, like a, you know, survival of the fittest, you know, red and tooth and claw. Like if you don't have what it takes, if you've got bad genes, you should be weeded out of the gene pool. I'm not talking about that at all. I don't know that I've got the greatest genes to be quite frank. And I don't know how well I do in, in ancient society. I'm grateful for all the, the modern medicine and so on. But there, there, there's a, there's a line that's drawn where like everyone is just terrified of any discomfort. We love our comfort and our pleasure and our consumption and our enjoyment of life so much that we at this stage in our society are unwilling to experience anything negative. And if we experience something negative, we're looking for someone to blame. It's got to be someone's fault. Trump or Biden or Fauci or the Chinese, somebody's got to pay for this. Someone is at fault because I'm suffering. I caught this virus and I'm miserable on my back for two weeks. Someone's got to pay. Someone owes me money. Someone owes me answers. There better be congressional hearings. Boy, the news better cover this. I am outraged. How could this happen to me? This is an outrage. Now, partially with the COVID situation, you know, we've got this thing so ginned up that people are just terrified. It's not just that they're outraged to be inconvenienced. People are scared they're going to die. And I have to admit, it was a little scary. There was a moment or two where I was like, this is not good. I can't breathe. Now, part of that may have been because I've been hearing all the media, but I, but I think there's just a natural uh, response to any organism that's struggling to breathe to say, okay, this isn't good. I'm supposed to get oxygen. <laughs> the cool thing is, let's say my wife took me to the hospital. You know, they're not intu uh, intubating or whatever you call it. They're not putting you on oxygen. They've got some, you know, there's Rendisivir and these other therapeutics that'll open your lungs up. I mean, we figure out how to beat this stupid thing for the most part. Yes, if you're 93 years old with uh, a really weak heart and cancer, this is going to be bad. This can be a rough ride that, that may not end. It's probably going to end in tears for your family. But, but, but if the average person, and I carry a little bit of weight, I'm in my mid fifties and I'm, I'm sedentary. I'm, I wouldn't say that I'm grossly obese, but, you know, I could lose another 30, 20, 30 pounds and, and be okay. Uh, you know, this thing, it's not going to kill you, most likely. So what I, what I just have been thinking about is just this, this fear of adversity. Now, we need adversity. And, and if you look at nature... You look at something like a tree and you go, oh, Mike, here we go with the, you know, this analogy. It's, it's, it's pointless. It doesn't relate to us. Well, I, I would argue that it does. You know, we're both organic beings. We're material beings. We, you know, have, and if you look, and I'll talk about a, a human example, but if you look at a tree, if a tree doesn't go through any adversity, if it doesn't go through any hardship, it's actually quite a weak organism. So for instance, when what's fascinating about any plant, but trees specifically as an example, when they go through drought, uh, 
they send their roots deeper down. The, the tree knows to send roots deeper to look for water. Well, what, what happens to a tree that's got deep roots? Well, it can withstand the wind. <laughs> so when trees go through periods of drought, adversity, lack, discomfort, if they can experience that type of thing, they respond. They respond in kind. And by doing so, the tree becomes stronger, more able to thrive in future situations, future adversity. Drought causes deeper roots. A little bit of wind toughens up the tree. Now, that's not to say that, you know, a tree can't be healthy without adversity, but it makes the organism stronger. And I'm sure, you know, trees don't have nervous systems like we do. It doesn't, it doesn't have a brain, a central, you know, thing where it's thinking about how it feels. It's not self-aware. It's not saying, woe is me. I'm thirsty. I'm parched. Wouldn't someone please come and give me some water? Now I'm depressed because no one loves me. Trees don't go through kind of the psychological thing that we do, but it, it goes through adversity and it becomes stronger. Let's talk about human beings. And I'll give you a positive example. So let's say you're a couch potato. Let's say that you are sedentary. Maybe you're a gamer and you've, you know, you like your Doritos and your Cheetos and uh, playing Legends of Zelda. Okay, neck beard. So now you're overweight. You've got no cardio, et cetera. You're not healthy. Let's, let's just admit it. You're not healthy. To get healthy, you have to go through adversity. Now, that doesn't mean that you wait for some tragedy to hit you. We, we manufacture adversity to create health. But what am I saying? <clears throat> An example would be we deprive ourselves of calories to, first of all, try to trim down. That's, we, we create a famine. You know, your body's like, I'm starving. I want something. We're saying, no, I'm staying away from the cupboard. I'm staying away from the refrigerator. No more ice cream, no more chips. I got to trim down. So you got to create a calorie deficit to start shedding some weight. The other thing you do, you start exercising. You start forcing yourself to walk or to jog or to start lifting weights. Well, those are all adversity. In, in the kind of natural world, you'd be walking, looking for food or trying to get from one village to the next village or trying to get away from uh, your enemy that's hunting you down. You're having to walk, you're having to run. You're, that, that's adversity. We just have to create it for ourselves. Or you're doing hard labor. You're picking up stuff. You're moving them. You're farming. You're doing these things that mankind did for centuries. You are experiencing some level of adversity. On, and it's painful. If you've been sedentary and you all of a sudden stop and you've been eating like a pig and you deprive yourself of the food that you love and your body craves and you force yourself to start doing physical activity, it hurts you're hungry all the time. You're upset. You're angry that you can't have what you want. Your body's rebelling. It just, it captivates your mind. Your legs are, are killing you from trying to walk. Your lungs, oh, you're, you're pushing me too hard. You're miserable. But the person that does that and can hang in there for any period of time, well, something amazing happens. They become transformed. They become a different person. You look and you go, hey, uh, Tommy, what happened? Buddy, you're looking great. Oh, yeah, I lost a couple pounds. You always play it off. Oh, yeah, I lost a couple pounds. No big deal. Meanwhile, you shed like 60 pounds. You've been working out like an animal. <laughs> the girls can't keep their hands off you now, Tommy. Nice job. You, you put yourself through adversity so that you can become stronger, fitter, 
healthier, more able to thrive, more capable. You build muscle, you build endurance, you build discipline and focus and toughness of mind, and you bring your body into submission to your will. That's an amazing thing when that happens. And it's hard to do. It's very hard to do. Why? Because it's uncomfortable. It makes you miserable. But talk to anybody that used to be heavy and lost that weight. Talk to anybody that used to be sedentary and is now active. Talk to anybody who broke free of alcoholism or some drug addiction. To be free on the other side, they went through adversity. It's hard to break free of these things. But they're transformed. They have successful lives, successful marriages, successful work. Their finances are in order. Their relationships have come alive. Their self-confidence has bloomed. Like they're different people. Because why? Because they went through some kind of adversity, whether it was imposed upon them or self-imposed. And I think that when we go through life and the societal shift towards, I don't want to hear anything that I don't like. I don't want to experience anything that I don't like. I don't want to feel any discomfort. I don't want to feel any pain. And there will be hell to pay for anyone that opposes me, for anyone that is, someone's going to be responsible. Like if I get sick, if I get miserable, if I get unhappy, someone's going to have to pay for this. I'm guaranteed in this society happiness at all times. And I would argue, look, happiness, the pursuit of happiness is great. But to truly be happy, you have to go through times of deprivation. You have to go through hardships. You have to go through adversity. You know, talk to the guy who couldn't get a girlfriend for five years and then finds this woman that loves him and that he loves back. Tell me he doesn't, tell me he wouldn't give his right arm for that woman. Versus the guy that girls throw themselves at all the times. Like this guy, he doesn't appreciate the women. He doesn't appreciate the attention. He takes it as a birthright. Hey, I'm a God amongst men. Look at me, I'm Adonis. Of course the women love me. I think sometimes we don't realize that we, to appreciate what we have, sometimes we have to go without or we have to experience hardship. And so lying on my back for 14 weeks and people are like, oh, you know, are, are you chastised now? Do you repent of the, your attitude? No, I'm grateful that I got it. I'm grateful that it was bad. I'm grateful that I made it through it. I'm grateful for my life. I have a different attitude. I've been humbled I felt the grace of God through all this. I felt the love of people coming around to help me. The patience, even my clients just being wonderful, just saying, hey, don't worry, just rest. I just want you to be okay. Like even that alone, just those little, or, or someone, maybe someone that I don't spend a lot of time with, just shoot me a quick text message on the weekend. Hey, I'm thinking of you. How you doing? I mean, that alone is very touching. And I couldn't experience any of that if I didn't go through this. I think we're doing something wrong by trying to just, you know, shut this thing down. I get it. We've got to protect lives. We don't want people to die needlessly. I understand that. But we also have to understand that pain and suffering and even death is part of the human experience. And this idea, I feel like there's this kind of ground level fundamental shift where we're thinking that we can somehow eliminate suffering, that we can eliminate uh, hardship in human life. And, and that we're going to look to the state for this. We're going to look to the higher ups to make this happen versus each of us taking responsibility. I think that's fundamentally flawed. And I don't think that even if we were able to accomplish this, let's say, let's say we could eliminate suffering. Let's say we could eliminate all the negative aspects that we've been talking about uh, this last half hour. 
If we can eliminate all those things, I don't think that leads to more happy people. I actually think that leads to weaker, less thriving and miserable, unhappy people. It does not lead to happiness. Go through hardship. If you're, if you want to start a business, put yourself out there, be willing to fail. That, that failure alone will teach you lessons that you will take with you for the rest of your life. Be vulnerable. Open yourself to other people. Allow them to help you. Trust them. Put yourself in positions where you need to rely on others. Put yourself in positions where you might get hurt. I'm not telling you to be reckless. I'm not telling you to be stupid. I'm not saying jump off a cliff and see what happens. And as I've been joking the last, this last year, I'm not saying go lick doorknobs so you can get COVID. But you've got to live your life. You've got to live your life now without fear. Don't sit fearful. You know, don't run out and get a vaccine just because you're terrified. Live your life. This thing's not going to kill you. The odds are 99.3% you know, in your favor that you're not going to die from this thing, even if you get it. Now, I know, I know of people that have died from it. I know of people that have died from it. So I'm not, I'm not treating this lightly. I'm just saying as human beings, we have to be willing to engage life and we should embrace the periods of hardship and adversity, no matter how hard they are, because we know that they will make us better, they will make us stronger, and they will help us to thrive in the future. Guys, I hope this is thought provoking. Love to know what you think. Get in touch with me. Just go to my website. Two things if you go to my website. One, uh, sign up for my newsletter. You'll see it on the uh, homepage. You can just sign up there and um, been sending out some more uh, newsletters more recently. I've been writing some articles, et cetera, and I've been sharing those. Um, also, uh, you can send me, you know, just a note. You can contact me via the website. There's a contact form on the homepage as well. What do you think about this? Do you agree? Disagree? Am I hammerhead or uh, am I touching a nerve or is this inspiring to you? I'd just, be, I'd just like to know what you think. You can also connect with me on LinkedIn. Love it when you guys do that. Uh, I use Twitter less and less, still there, but I don't really use it that much. Feel free to reach out to me there. Uh, when people ping me, I try to ping them back. But I love to connect with you guys, and I want the best for you. I really want you to be able to uh, experience life to its fullest, to live life on your own terms, and to thrive. So guys, I love you all. Thanks for joining me today, and I hope you have a great week. We'll talk to you next time. Cheers. Cheers.